you've been uh, listening the, the past, I don't know how many weeks, we've been talking about Messiah, and last week we talked about the, following the law of Messiah, but we really were talking mainly about the Hebrew scriptures, the law, that law, and we talked about the definition, and we looked at the purpose, but today we're going to um, talk more about following the law of Messiah, but we're going into more of the new covenant understanding. So when Yeshua was asked to explain the most important law, he did so by saying in Matthew 22, love God, love your neighbor. We're all familiar with that. There are these two laws we need to have in our spirit daily, moment by moment, moment by moment. And uh, the two laws, I believe, require us to have a unity within ourselves. I don't know how many of you have ever thought of this. At most times, we think of unity with other people. But I believe we have to have a unity in ourselves to really be able to love correctly. So it has to be in our heart. It has to be in our thoughts. It has to be in our speech and it has to be in our actions. And so if we put all those four together, we will be able to hopefully love well. And you know, when we talk about the speech portion of it, we want to not only um, have the right words that we choose, but we also wanna say it in the right way, with the right inflections, with the right, you know, uh, that people will sense our love. And also with the actions, the same thing. It's the actions we choose, but also there's a way to do the same actions right and the same actions wrong. So we've really got to focus on our body language and our facial expressions. And I mean, you know, because all of it speaks, right? It all speaks. So um, if we're going to love, which is Yeshua's law, it's all about love. There's a scripture um, yeah, you know, actually, before we get to the scripture, I, one of the things that we all know is he loved us first, and when we didn't deserve his love, he gave it to us anyway. And he teaches us a similar concept, and the foundations of love, I believe, are humility and sacrifice. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, let's look at this verse for a moment. It says, for the love of Messiah compels us. So what does the word compel means? It pushes us. It forces us. It, uh, we have no choice. We have no choice. The love of Messiah. So here's the first thing. If you don't sense, if you don't feel, if you don't know the love of Messiah, it's obviously not going to compel you. So we have the love of Messiah. It compels us. Since we've concluded that one died for all, meaning Yeshua died for all, as a result, all died. And we can look at that, but I prefer to go further and, and, and say this. He died for all so that those who might live might no longer live for themselves. Wow. That would be an incredible feat if we were able to do that well to not live for ourselves. We wouldn't have any arguments between husband and wife, right dear? She's on Facebook. 
Um, so uh, if we could get ourselves out of it, we, we wouldn't have those little fights. And, and so it's, it's clearly one of the desires of God that we would not live for ourselves. But we are to live, and it continues, for the one, Yeshua, who died for us and was raised. And so that's his heart. Now, in order to be able to follow this law, I believe there are four overriding characteristics that we must adopt to be able to show this kind of love that never fails. And I focus on those three words. Love never fails. It, it is, it's really difficult. But I'm focused on those three words because God said it. And, and so if that's true, and I believe it's true, then I've got to really focus on that. At any rate, the four uh, characteristics that I think we need, number one, we have to have faith. Number two, we have to have humility. Three, holiness and for thankfulness. Faith, faith believes in Yeshua. It obeys. It continues even during problems and tragedies and accepts the sovereignty of God. It, look, faith does a lot more than that, but those are some of the things that I thought of. We need to have strong faith. Humility, it's made up of, of the ability to repent, to forgive, to respect others, to be accountable to others, to be a unifier, to be teachable, to be sacrificial. All of those things, I believe, goes into being humble. And whenever I think of humility, I always feel, uh, we're not going to turn to it, but, but I always think of Philippians 2, which is that great chapter of, of Yeshua humbling himself. And, and uh, so if you haven't read it for a while, read it, please. Third is holiness. We need to be holy. Uh, we think of it all throughout Leviticus. There are a number of places where it says, I am holy, meaning God, and you be holy. And so we are to be holy. What does that mean? Well, we, holiness is, I think, a habit of being one in mind with God. It's almost like a unity with God in our actions is what holiness is. So we are trying to be more godlike. That's holiness. And so um, our morality, our modesty, our speech all fall under this area. And then finally, number four is that I believe we are to be thankful. And we have to show gratitude. We have to rejoice always. And you know, if we show thankfulness, then we will have a hopeful spirit. Uh, it's hard to have hope if we haven't seen anything to be thankful for. So our hope is somewhat dependent on the fact that we are to be thankful. So I'd like to look at a couple scriptures to get a little more insight on love. And maybe some scriptures that you never thought of in, in this regard. So one of the uh, characteristics about love that I think is so strong and is important is our ability to forgive. And I, in Matthew 6, 12 through 14, it says this. And this is the Lord's Prayer, the end of it. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, do me a favor, don't get into, well, where's that other line, for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Some people think it belongs there, some people don't. It's not our issue today. Our issue is those three verses that I read, and, and let me explain that forgiveness is a characteristic of Yeshua's love and Yeshua's law, and, and that gives us an example of how to love. It, so it's, it's, it's a tangible, you know, while love is an intangible in the sense, you know, it can look a lot of different ways, forgiveness is a tangible that we can actually do. So love requires faith, we talked about faith earlier, in God, to forgive so that we are willing to obey God. I mean, so we need faith to forgive. We need faith, uh, it requires humility, because of, oftentimes when we forgive somebody, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it, which makes us feel bad that we even should forgive them. We say, why would I forgive them if they haven't repented or if their repentance had seemed unauthentic, you know, that it wasn't real. And yet, I believe God requires us to have the humility to forgive at all times. Now, that doesn't mean that you condone something. It just means you forgive. Um, three, it, it, love requires holiness and forgiveness requires holiness, which is to be in unity with the mind of God, which I mentioned already. And four, it requires thankfulness in God's grace given to us so that we will have grace for others. If we don't feel that God has poured out his grace on us and forgiven us, then we certainly are not going to get a sense of forgiving others and understanding it's part of God's grace. We might feel that our, our rights have been trampled on. But let me tell you, if you are humble, you don't have rights. Okay, we can argue about it later. But I'm just telling you, humility requires us to give up our rights. And it's... I mean, that's really what Yeshua did. He gave up his rights. He gave up his rights when he came down to heaven, uh, from heaven, right? You know, so he had to live with us. I mean, that must have been difficult for him. That's all of, that's Philippians 2 again. And then he gave up his rights when he died for us. So, anyway. Now, the interesting thing about the verse that I read in, in the, the uh, Lord's Prayer is this, that the middle verse is very interesting. Verse 12 and 14 are about forgiveness. Verse 13 is about not being tempted and being delivered from the evil one. So what, what that's saying is, God is saying, in my opinion, that when we don't forgive, we open ourselves up to the evil one. 
And we have a greater temptation to sin when we don't forgive. That's what I believe. That verse that's sandwiched into the, in between those two forgiveness scriptures. And so God is wanting us to forgive, and it's a characteristic of love, as I mentioned. When we forgive, we're obeying God's law of love. What would cause love not to be an answer, even when we're told that love never fails? Well, if we don't believe scripture, I mean, I guess then it would be hard to understand that love never fails. If uh, we have to trust God because how many times do we act in love and it's not reciprocated? And now we feel like we've been trampled on. <laughs> and now we feel, and, and, and God is saying continuously, look up at him and trust. If you didn't hear the message last night, which probably many of you did not, uh, a fellow by the name of Justin gave it, who is a quadriplegic, and to hear his focus when his world, would, you would think, fell apart when he had an accident at 19, you want to hear that because it is very encouraging, very, very encouraging. So, and, and, you know, he might not have forgiven God for allowing it to happen, right? That's kind of how we think sometimes. So, look, when we don't show love, often we use scripture to explain why we can't show love in a particular situation. Because we know that scripture has a lot of different facets to it. And, but let me just share an interesting scripture. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with love, but it's Mark 4, 18 through 20. So uh, we start out 18 and 19, and others, and, and this is the parable that Yeshua is speaking about the word of God, and he says, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They have heard the word, but the worries of the world the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So when, here's the question, when does God's word, this is going to be on your test, when, do, when does God's word become unfruitful? Because you would think never. Because there are verses that say it never returns void, right? But here it says that if you have, if you cannot push aside the worries of the world, if you cannot push aside the desire for wealth, if you cannot push aside your other personal agenda desires, then it is possible that the word will not have the correct meaning for you. It will be, it will be, squeezed out it'll be choked it'll be choked and if you can push those things aside which are by the way not easy at all right it's not easy to push these things aside but of course if we're humble and we're selfless yeah but anyway so but 
The next verse is they hear the word and accept it and produce fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. So that's my prayer, that I will hear the word, accept it, apply it, and produce fruit. That's my prayer. That's what I'd like to see. Now, how does that pertain to, to loving is that oftentimes, even though God's word says to love, we have these other things that are in the way, and it's hard. It is hard to love. Hey, you know, I've been married 50 years come February, and we've had our issues at times. And it was hard probably for Pat to love me, and it was equally hard for me to love her at certain times because we had issues. But if we were both selfless, we wouldn't have had those arguments. <laughs> we would have been able to love. That's the fruit I want to keep. Look, the law of Yeshua I want to keep is John 13, 34. You all know it. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Look, for keeping the law of love, I will need a lot of faith. I will need a lot of humility. I will need a lot of holiness, and I will need a lot of thankfulness. But many of you know I like practical examples. So we've talked about the scripture of it, We've talked about the ideas of it, but now I would like to give you a, a practical example. And I take this from a workshop uh, I took online this week uh, by Brad Bright, uh, who is the son of Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade. And uh, Brad Bright has a, an amazing book called God is the Issue. If you haven't read it, get it online, you know, whatever, just get it. It will make such a difference in your world, it, it, it'll be incredible. Now, and that's because I'm familiar with the book, I actually asked him if he was doing anything like, you know, so I could get a refresher. And he gave us eight rules on how to change culture as a tool for us to focus on. Now, I believe that we're not talking about changing culture today, though if we all loved well, we would change culture. Uh, but I believe that we can love better with these eight rules, so I'm gonna give them to you in a moment. Um, now recently, uh, I received some feedback also from people that they wanted me to talk on how to communicate better, especially in tough situations. I've had Four or five people asked me that, and I was saying I'd like to do a workshop on that one day. Yesterday was really, in a sense, it was difficult, but it was amazingly inspiring. At the celebration of love for Rachel Stewart's 38-year-old brother, who passed away in his sleep with no, no sickness, no nothing, and had five young children and his wife. And uh, they have a large family. And so we were doing the celebration of life. And it was so inspiring to me. They were filled with sharing about God. Just, I don't know if all of them were believers, but 90% must have been. 
And the things that they shared were all about God and his grace and his love. And it didn't matter how the message was delivered. It, wasn't, it didn't have to be communicated well. Everybody was listening. Their hearts were open. Everybody was on the same page. And there were two things that almost every speaker, and there might have been 12 or 14 speakers. I mean, there were a lot of speakers, uh, including Rabbi Ron and including a pastor. Uh, and just, there were a lot of speakers. Any rate, and, uh, and this, so they were, they were all received well, but here, there were two things they wanted that they said over and over and over again. We don't want you to wait until a loved one dies to communicate well with your loved one that they are loved. I mean, that just went through the entire afternoon. And, um, and that really touched me because every time I hear that, I think of my life and who I haven't shared that with. So going back to these eight uh, objectives, let's take a look at them. If we can go to the next slide. So these are the eight things that he recommends. And I believe not only will they help change culture, not only will they help us love better, they will also help us communicate better. And so I'd like to go over these just for a couple minutes because I, I, I really feel they're so practical. Number one is know your objective. Now, when Brad teaches this, his objective is God is the issue, which means you always talk about God is the issue. Regardless of what else is going on, God is the issue. And I'll, I'll demonstrate how he does that a little later. And so because God is the issue, our objective is to be a light. And so then he, my prayer of knowing my objective in conversation is I want to do a better job of showing love in difficult situations. It's really easy to show love when everybody's lovey-dovey and sweet. It is really difficult to show love when we're not lovey-dovey and sweet. And uh, so my objective, and you can figure out your own objective, but my objective is I want to better show love in all situations, but especially difficult ones. Number two, know your audience. Now this is an interesting thing. He said, this is what Brad said, that a core theology, I hope there's nobody here who's 25, but uh, core theology for a 25-year-old is that God wants them to be happy. And I, and I said, what? Um, at, but he said, that's a millennial kind of 25-year-old thinking process. God wants me to be happy. And um, not that he doesn't want us to be happy. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, there's a lot more to life than just being happy. We, you know, well, anyway. So the, the real question was not about that. The question is, when you're talking to somebody, do you know what they value? 
What is it that they value that you can speak to? Because I'm going to tell you that if we, I, I did this, I won't mention names, with a gal about four years ago. She was sitting in my office, and I said like one sentence which showed her that I didn't value what she felt, and I didn't see her for the next two years. And only recently she said, well, I came in with some baggage and, it, you know, anyway. But people want to feel valued. And so do you know what the person you're speaking to, what uh, gives them value? So my, my desire here when I pray uh, about knowing my audience when I'm speaking to people is teach me Lord, to know who I'm talking to, what they value, and find a way to connect with them based on their beliefs. Because if I do it on my beliefs, I'm going to turn them off, especially with millennials. I've had good practice in doing that, unfortunately. <laughs> I've done it more than once, and I see the results of them, uh, you know, giving, I've given good fatherly advice to some people, and I didn't see them ever again. So, now, look, you can say, well, maybe the fatherly advice sunk in somewhere else. That's possible. I'm not discounting that. But I don't have to believe what they believe. I can, uh, I can be very much against what they believe. And I'm going to demonstrate this all in a minute with a specific in, uh, two incidents. However, I have to go back to number one. When, when I feel my ire getting up, you know, when I feel like I'm, I'm about to explode, I have to go back to number one, know my objective. If I have a goal, then I have to make sure that the words and how they're put out there fit my objective, which is to love. Number three, know your enemy. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you all the stuff Brad said because he was talking about physical enemies. I'm just going to talk about Hasatan, uh, our enemy spiritually, because he wants to cause division. He wants me and my family to sin against the Lord. He wants me to be angry and make me a poor community communicator of truth. He ups my emotions so that it's hard for me sometimes to even think. Number four is what Brad feels is the most important message, which is, or the part of this, which is stay on message. It means the most important rule is to reframe, not refrain, but reframe, reframe the narrative by changing the underlying question. Reframe the narrative by changing the underlying question. So let's, we look at Matthew twenty-two seventeen. Is it permitted to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Yeshua said to them, whose image do you see? Uh, whose in inscription? Caesar, they said to him. 
Yeah, then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to the th uh, God the things that are God. Now, he reframed the question because now the discussion is about God. We solved that issue with Caesar. Now let's talk about God. And that's the kind of thing we need to do. We have to decide if we're going to win an argument or stay on message. So let me talk a little bit more about reframing. And I want to give you these two examples because they are touchy. And, uh, you know, I believe in being touchy. Uh, someone says to you that they don't see a problem with abortion. Now, the first thing you want to do in your flesh, you're going to say it's your spirit, but it's your flesh. You are going to tell them about 50 facts of why they, they should be against abortion. And they are going to tune you out and walk away before you get to the second one. They're, or they're going to get you into the greatest argument that you've ever seen. So Brad's answer to that is, well, I don't see anything wrong with abortion as long as God doesn't exist. Oh. So let's talk about, does God exist in your life? Oh, my goodness. Do you sense the power of what just happened? Now, I am not, I'm not like this, and I'm, I'm not sure even Brad is as good as his examples are. But, but the point is that I have something to strive for, and that is giving correct answers and, and, and deflecting and not, not deflecting in a way that, that makes what I think immaterial, but deflecting in a way where God, in this case, I'm okay with abortion as long as God doesn't exist. Because God is the one who makes the laws. And at any rate, so you can get into a good, okay. So you're ready for the second one. Someone says to you that they believe black lives matters. Now, some of you might just say, well, I don't want to get into a fight. Yeah, I, I agree. Or some of you might say, well, no, I'm, I'm, do you know the organization is actually anti-Semitic? Now, you can say that, but the person you say it to is going to turn you off and walk away. Have you ever witnessed on TV one of those arguments between Black Lives Matters and, you know, have you ever seen those kind of things going on and they're yelling at each other and speaking over each other and all that kind of stuff? Okay, so here's Brad's answer. I agree with you. Black lives matter because God exists. And he says that all lives matter, including black lives. Now, you could say, well, I didn't get to tell him about the organization, and I didn't get to, but, you know, at least there's something else to talk about now 
And later on, if you need to talk about the organization, which is important, but it's not what you lead with. Because if you lead with it, you've lost your ability to have a conversation. And you want the conversation. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, number five, advance incrementally. Ugh. You mean have patience? Oh. It means that you might not get the whole bowl of soup that you want that moment. It means that if you want immediate, full immediate change, you will probably lose. Because your objective is not going to be completed. God gives us our whole life to get things right. <laughs> our whole lives. Anybody there yet? Just raise your hand. Anybody there yet? Okay, so you get my point here. <laughs> Consider a small step a win and believe for other small steps. Now, if you didn't do this, you would be, you would be your worst critic. You would be so angry at yourself, you wouldn't be able to you would be depressed. And some people are like that. Some people, if they can't conquer a sin, they become depressed. Well, depression isn't going to help conquer the sin. I can guarantee you that. It just doesn't work. So you have to understand that steps happen in a day, a week, a month, you know, whatever it takes. God is faithful, you just have to have patience, which I don't, as many of you know. Number six, controversy is my friend. Now, I really disliked this one um, because I don't like controversy. I mean, I do and I don't. I, I, I don't like when it gets ugly. In fact, I really dislike it. But. What he was saying is that opposition is critical to our long-term success because number one, it amplifies our message, and number two, if it works correctly, there will be a backlash, and then there will be dialogue. Finally, at the end, there will be dialogue. And so what he's saying is controversy will bring dialogue. So just think about it, it's something I, I'm still trying to process in my brain if I like this or not, but I guess I don't have to like it. <laughs> Number seven, be a leader, not a loner. Work with other people in, in, if you can. One of the things that he said, uh, which was really interesting, uh, I had never thought of this, Judas was the only person that Yeshua ever sent out alone. Okay. You know, that's how I felt. Oh. Oh. Okay. This has to me a lot of ramifications. It means that I have to be close enough to somebody to 
to do something together with them rather than being a lone ranger. It means that I have to delegate. It might mean that I have to be transparent. There are a lot of different things that it that entails in this. This is not an easy principle either. But it, if we have a positive message of God's love and forgiveness, others will buy into it and join to make something happen. And, and, and you know, my desire is to, to, through love, make something happen. Number eight, obviously, is the never give up one, which is also difficult, um, also very difficult. But if you listen to last night's message, you will be encouraged to never give up. Uh, it was, it was uh, very strong in that area and, and other areas. It, it's just interesting. Um, it's so easy to give up. It's so easy. But we can't give up on God's love. We, can't, uh, we are a better person when we love. And so let me close with a couple scriptures. Oh, you mean Brad Bright? Oh, God is the issue. Yeah, God is the issue. It's, it's, and it's a small book. I, I don't know that it's more than 100 pages, and it's not even like big book size. So it's, it's not a big book, but it definitely is a book that I'm trying to get back into a few more times because... I just need this uh, because there are just too many difficulties in life. Uh, Mark 12, 31. Referring to the commandments, the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, meaning the two, love God, love your neighbor. So if we're looking at things that God is saying, there are no greater commandments than these. You know, in Matthew, it doesn't say, it, it, it uses a little different verbiage, but in this, uh, when talking, when Yeshua is talking about the two commandments, he says, there is no other commandment greater than these two commandments. So we've got to understand Yeshua's heart on Yeshua's laws. And finally, I'd like to close with Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So let me see if I understand this right. I'll be a child of my Father in heaven if the people who persecute me I love and pray for. So if you're working somewhere and you have a lousy boss who persecutes you, you're going to remember this and love them and pray for them. Now you're going to tell me they don't deserve it, and I'm not going to disagree with you. But I am going to tell you that God wants you to do what he wants you to do. And if it's all about obeying God, then let's obey God. He, uh, uh, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Even the pagans do that, don't they? Therefore, be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, obviously, we're never going to be perfect, but I would think, based on this scripture, we get closer to perfection as we carry out God's word in this scripture. And this, for all of us, I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't struggled with this many times. These are the words of Yeshua. So I would just end by saying, what better way to communicate love than to accept Yeshua, who has already showed us love? So I don't know everybody here, maybe. And Yeshua loved us first before we even knew him. And he died for us. And he atoned for our sins when we received him. So if there's anybody in Facebook land or in the sanctuary that needs to receive Yeshua as their Messiah so that they can, first of all, know his love so that they can give his love, just say, I believe Yeshua died for my sins, and so I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. I receive him as Lord of my life, and I dedicate my life to him by loving as he loved. If you said that, please let us know. If you're here, let us know. If you're in Facebook land, email us. Um, if you hear us a month from now, still email us. We want to know if you've received Yeshua as your Messiah. We'll send you a wonderful book to read. Lord, I just pray in the name of Yeshua for us to be even a little bit of what you desire, uh, Lord, as this, this is just, a, these laws are so hard, Lord. There are only two of them. And we didn't even talk about loving you, Lord. But I know or believe that when we love our neighbor, we are loving you. And so I ask in the name of Yeshua that you give us the strength to love. You give us the ability to love. You give us the creativity to love. You give us that you line up our heart and our spirit and our just everything about us, our words and our actions, line it all together so that what we think is coming out, Lord, is love, is actually love. That, we're, that people who hear us don't mistake it for something else. I know for myself, Lord, I, I still have some sarcasm left that needs to go. And so I pray for those of you who are like me, who just sometimes we're not selfless. Sometimes we're not humble. Sometimes because of the storm around us, we're not thankful. 
Lord, there's so many things. Sometimes we don't have faith because we've prayed and prayed and something hasn't happened. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive us because you are God, you are sovereign. And we're here today because we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we're seeking to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I pray blessings upon each person here as we worship you now, Lord, as we worship you in the name of Yeshua.